Hey guys, welcome back to the How To Podcast. The How To Podcast is a lifestyle podcast on creating life you want. This week we have Dr. Joe Court, a sex and relationship therapist. I am so excited to have Dr. Joe on my podcast. I reached out, I think, back in January and I'm just now getting around to talk to him. So it's been highly anticipated and it did not disappoint. He was so much fun. We talked about attachment styles and how those can play into your relationship and how understanding your partners can, you know, just have better communication in the relationship. We also talk about good communication relationship tips. We talk about the stigma around couples therapy and a lot more. I'm so excited for you to hear. So let's jump in and let's get started. Hi, Dr. Court. Hi, how's it going? Nice to be here. Good, good. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, This has been very anticipated. I think I reached out back in January, maybe. So psyched that it's finally happening. Me too. Me too. Sorry, it took so long, but I'm glad to be here. No, you're a you're a busy guy, so I I'm am. just I'm uh, pumped to finally have you. For those listening who don't know, you are a certified sex and relationship therapist. Do you just want to start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this? Sure. So I was um, I have a master's in social work and I have a PhD in clinical sexology. And my original work was all about sexual abuse and sexual trauma. Uh, working with um, all genders, mostly men, I have to be honest. I was working on myself as well in my own therapy. So male sexuality, male sexual health was always important to me. And um, then realized in my 40s that I didn't have enough sexual health information. Uh, I was helping everybody heal, but then helping them find their own sexual and erotic lives I was missing. So I became uh, uh, interested in sex uh, therapy and went down that track and never looked back. So now I'm mental health and sexual health combined. Awesome. That's cool. And how long have you been practicing? So I've been practicing 36 years this coming May. Wow. And uh, I know I've done so many things. And so now I'm also not just a practitioner, but I, I run a, a center for relationship and sexual health in Royal Oak, but I'm also running an online PhD in sexual health certification program through modern sex therapy institutes. So I'm doing a lot. Yes, that's awesome. You're also a TikToker. Don't forget. <laughs> I love being a TikToker. I like telling my niece and nephews who are still teenagers, I'm an influencer. Yeah. You know, let's see what we can do for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I found you off TikTok. Um, and so it really is crazy just the power of the internet and being able mm. to be connected. And I'm so glad that you have your TikTok because I feel like I learned so much just following along. And so you're definitely helping a lot of people out there. So we're thankful for you. Thank you. <laughs> but today we're going to, we have you on in we're going to be talking about attachment styles, how those play into relationships and how those can strengthen your relationship. Something I think that is interesting with attachment styles is that it is true like for your romantic relationships, but I think it can also help you strengthen any relationship, whether it's friendship, you know, relationships with family. It's, you know, it kind of covers a large area. Yeah. And I forgot to mention too, that a lot of my work is about relationships, which is probably what you heard me doing. I've done a ton of series of TikTok videos on, you know, how to have better communication, how your childhood uh, plays into your adult relationships, those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. So let's just start out by talking about the three types or just explaining what attachment styles are and then going through the three types. Sure. So, um, you know, attachment styles come from uh, how you were raised, you know, who the attachment figure was and how uh, secure or insecure or anxious they made you feel um, not on purpose, but if you had an anxious mother, you might've had an anxious attachment. If you had a secure bonding 
mother. And it doesn't have to be a mother. It can be whoever that primary caretaker is. It's often mother, but not always. Um, and so um, it then shapes your personality. So then you end up growing up into uh, seeing the world through that lens. Am I really secure? Am I anxious when you leave? Am I avoidant? You know, that's another one where, um, you know, I have to avoid showing all my feelings for you because I could get hurt. So um, there's those kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. Is, is it always, for the most part, how you grow up? Does that determine your um, attachment style? And can you have different attachment styles for, you know, family relationships, friend relationships, um, romantic relationships? Those are great questions. So I do think a lot of it comes from how you're raised and how you're shaped, but you can also be born this way, right? So if you're, let's say you have, you're on the spectrum or you, you come with a lot of anxiety or you're very, um, a highly sensitive person or in some ways, uh, or, or have other kinds of uh, personality issues. So that could then shape the relationships that are coming your way and impact how people respond to you. So it's, it can be that as well. That's a great question. I think, yes, you can have different attachment styles with different people, depending on how the closer the person is to you, the more important the person is to you, the more it's going to be clo a closely matched with your primary attachment style. Uh, yeah. the, the more you're like a distance kind of person, and I don't have to worry, if you leave me, that's not going to be a problem for me. Yeah. So let's go into a little bit um, the three attachments styles, secure, anxious, and avoidant, and just kind of care characteristics for each one, what those might look like um, in a relationship. So let's start with secure. So secure, people usually think of as stable, right? And it can be a part of stability, but um, it's, it's not always necessarily attached. So like stability would be, you know, every day we come home, we, we take care of the house. I know my role, you know, your role in our family. Um, you know, I go to work every day. But secure attachment is I can take risks with you. You can take risks with me. We can um, screw up um, and make mistakes and you're still going to be there for me. I can go explore the world. I can explore other people and I don't have to worry that I'm going to lose you or our relationship is in jeopardy as a result of it. So I always say to couples and individuals who are looking for relationships, you want stability, but you also want security um, and security means that I'm valued no matter what happens here. And then anxious, the anxious attachment. Yeah. So the anxious is I, I'm worried. Uh, I don't always know that you're going to be there for me and I'm going to uh, make decisions based on my worry that you're always going to leave me and not I'm always going to be there. And perhaps you had a primary caretaker who made you feel worried. Um, I, I actually have an anxious uh, style and I was raised Same. by a mother. Mm -hmm. Oh, do you? Oh, it's mm -hmm. awful. You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm constantly managing. And even though I'm 58 years old, it, it's better but right. So, mm -hmm. and, and my mother made us worry all the time. She made us feel like we were going to not have the next paycheck where she was not going to have her health tomorrow. She was going to, you know, whatever it was. And I took it all seriously. And so mm -hmm. now I'm constantly thinking people around me and they joke with me, my most primary people in my life. I think they're going to die tomorrow, you know, and mm -hmm. I know it's not realistic, but how does right. it manifest for you? Do you, what do you do? I see, I notice it and it's, it's wild because I think in a lot of friendships and, you know, like family relationships, I feel I'm very secure, very secure relationships, but in relationships, I tend to be very, very anxious and always just like wondering, like, am I doing something? Like, are they going to break up with me tomorrow? Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And part of, part of me thinks it might have stemmed from just like early on relationships, uh, like boyfriends and whatever. I think I always date it back to my high school boy broke up with me randomly and I like wasn't expecting it at all. And so part of me always wonders, I'm like, oh, does it like stem from that? That like it just kind of happened like 
so soon. And now I'm always just like worried that, you know, that it might happen again. Right, right. It, 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 it's an imprint. That's why it really lives inside of you and you bring it into your adulthood. It's hard to, and, and then it becomes a, your style and you're always managing it. Right. The anxious attachment is, is definitely a, it's a long journey. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then what about the avoidant attachment? Yeah, I feel really bad for avoiding uh, because what <laughs> happens is to their partners, they end up looking like liars and betrayers because uh, I have so many in my practice. I always have where they are so afraid to lose you that uh, they're anxious, but they avoid conflict and they're in their avoidance. They, they uh, don't share important information that should be shared that could be easily solved, but they're afraid that if they present that information, there's going to be conflict. So uh, then the partners end up feeling like, why didn't you tell me? You didn't love me. You don't care about me. You put us in jeopardy, which maybe the jeopardy part may be true, but it's because they love you that they're mm-hmm. avoidant. So that they're, they're, they're very hard. And people have, by the time they get into adulthood, highly scripted avoidant uh, ways of managing relationship without having a problem. So in a relationship, what, what an avoidant person, does that usually look like? the partner is like kind of shutting down. They don't really want to talk about issues is walking away, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Avoiding all the discussions. Um, you know, like you said, yeah. Like not bringing up stuff and not having a lot to say when you do bring stuff up and, and it's not because they don't love you. It is very irritating. It can be very like my husband is like that way. He's very avoidant and it's mm-hmm. not because he doesn't love me. Although it doesn't feel that way when we have a problem, especially being feel- anxious. <laughs> Right, right, right. My anxiety. Exactly. So we're a perfect storm. Yeah. And it, but but he has learned he can't be so avoidant because he's got to stand into the conflict so we can resolve it. And I've had to learn that just because he's avoidant doesn't mean I have to get anxious about his love for me. Totally. Do you think as a lot of, you know, when you look at all three of them, obviously everyone wants to be secure. Everyone would love to be secure in all relationships, sure. um, but not everyone is. And like you said, you're in an anxious, avoidant you know, that's what both partners are. Does that work? Can that work? Because I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, it's like you said, a perfect storm. You know, how do you make that work? Well, it's respecting the differences and having compassion for each other and oneself. So it really demands first that you have the maturity to, um, to do this. And it demands the information and knowledge. So I know what my attachment style is. I know what my partner's attachment style is. And then can I, when they, be, when they get, when they move into their attachment style, can I have empathy for where they went? Um, can they have empathy for me where I went in my style? So that it, that's the only way it works. And then be able to communicate through the differences and, uh, but have validation and empathy and compassion for one another. Right. Something my friends and I talk a lot about too. Um, I have a few other friends who are anxious and like their partners are avoidant. And it's always like the anxious person, like when there's a conflict in the relationship, they want to like, let's address it now. Let's get it over now. Let's just talk through it. And the avoidance always like, I need time. I need space. And it feels almost like the anxious person is being ignored. Um, when, when situations like that arise, what advice would you give to people who are anxious to like, okay, like calm down, let the avoidant person have their time. And what advice would you give to the avoidant person of this? These are things you could say maybe to your partner, if they are more of the anxious type to help, you know, put them in a good headspace. So I would say um, uh, there's a 24 hour um, uh, time limit I put on, I tell people and we use it too. So the uh, anxious person needs to talk about it sooner. 
So mm-hmm. the avoidant person never wants to talk about it. So right. if you say, is now a good time? The avoidant person is going to say no, and it never will be. Yeah. So the 24 hour thing is the avoidant person has to be able to say, now is not a good time, but give me 24 hours and I'll let you know. Uh, and so the anxious person has to learn to wait longer. The avoidant person has to come forward sooner than they want to. Um, sometimes 24 hours isn't enough. So they need another 24 hours. It's okay. But I always tell couples, the avoidant person, the one that says, no, now is not a good time, has to be the one to keep coming back. It's not fair if, if the uh, one partner, the anxious partner wants to talk now and they say, is now a good time? Is now a good time? Is now a good time? That's not fair. So because now you're begging. So I like the 24 hour period uh, of waiting so that um, you come to more middle ground in that way. Yeah, definitely. And then can people, you know, change their attachment style or is that something that kind of sticks with you? It sticks with you. You can, you, of course, we have frontal lobes, right? So we have the ability to override our natural tendencies, but it's a job and it's, it's uh, consciousness that you have to keep, but um, changing it is unlikely that it's probably going to stay with you because it's an imprint from childhood. Well, that is nice knowing that people can make it work in those anxious avoidant styles together, but you just have to both be willing to work through it. And do the work. Uh, Yes. If you're not willing to do the work and you feel like, you know, the other person should do it and not me, it's not going to work. Yeah, definitely. Um, Some other just advice too about communication in relationships. I know that you talk a lot about that on your TikTok. Um, I really like what you said one time about the five to one ratio rule. It's five to one, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 Let's, Let's just talk through that a little bit, what that is and what that looks like. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's easy to criticize where because we're in a um, a relationship where the romance and the honeymoon goes away and now we're just in the normal part of our relationship. It's easy to start tracking our frustrations and tracking your partner's negative behaviors or what they don't say or what they are, what they do wrong. And um, what he found, John Gottman, was the more you have of that, um, you're going to move toward divorce if you don't uh, counterbalance it with with positives. So I had put in that video. Uh, that I ask my couples when they first come into my office to do a brag and an appreciation. And a brag is something I've done for my partner that's out of my comfort zone, that's positive, that I know they want for me, that's hard for me. I go out of my way to do because it's harder for me. And an appreciation is anything I witness my partner doing that's positive and makes me feel loved. And I say to them, I'm doing this so that you're tracking the positives as well as the negatives. Because mm-hmm. if you're only tracking the negatives, you're gonna you're gonna only see the negatives. Yeah. Also you're you talk a lot too on TikTok about, you know, validating your partner without agreeing with them. I think this is really big um yeah. <laughs> in a lot of relationships of like, yeah, like how do you validate your partner without being like, you're right, you know, because sometimes you don't feel like your partner's always right in a conflict or whatever, but you do want to let them know, like, I see where you're coming from. You know, what are some helpful tips and tricks that you give your clients for that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I get this from my Imago training. So I'm an Imago relationship therapist. And um, we learn that um, it's really important to not necessarily agree with your partner because you're not going to always agree. There's going to be lots you don't agree on that. That's what makes relationships spicy and different and transformative. Um, But you do need to be able to see the world through your partner's point of view. And so that means taking your glasses off and putting their glasses on. And so if your partner says the moon is made of cream cheese, your job is to say, so what I hear you saying is that the moon is made of cream cheese. Did I get it? <laughs> is there more? Yes. And once they, we get a spaceship and we can get on the moon, 
I'm going to get a big Tupperware bowl and a huge spoon and get all the cream cheese I can get because I love it. Your job is not to interrupt or, uh, or judge them or, or correct them. The job is to say, so what you're saying is you want to go up to the moon, collect all that cream cheese, blah, blah, blah. And then you want to say to your partner, it makes sense to me that from your point of view, you see the world the way you do. It's not from my point of view. I have a different point of view. I, I know a little bit about the moon and I know that, you know, that's not true for me uh, or it's not true. But for you, it is true. And I get it. There's so many conflicts that could go away if you just do that. And that's a, another great point, too, of questions that I think a lot of people have, especially, you know, a lot of people who listen to this were in our 20s. We're still young. We're still learning. We're, we're still figuring things out. How do you determine at what point is fighting in a relationship? You know, because a little bit of disagreement, you know, conflict is healthy. But how do you yes. know when you're starting to tip with that line of like, this isn't good. We shouldn't be fighting that much. Because I think sometimes it's romanticized, like, oh, fighting's a good thing. But at what point is it like, well, we're fighting all the time? That's a great question. Um, well, I mean, there's another stat, and I forget what the stat is now. I did a uh, TikTok on it, where I think it's like, I don't know, over 60% of your fights are always going to happen. So mm -hmm. like, I'm, I've been with my husband 28 years. 60% yeah. of the fights we've had are the same. I know his lines. He knows my <laughs> lines. It's, the scripts are all the same. We, and we're, as we're saying it, we're like, we both know where this is heading, nowhere, right? And it's just one of those things. But I think when you know it's not right is if it's, I, I guess if it turns to abuse, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, the person's using it against you or emotionally abusing you, you know, and uh, putting you down and uh, not complying with behavior changes, you know, being unwilling to be accountable for their part. I think that's the biggest issue is accountability. Yep. Um, I didn't like people will say, well, I didn't mean it. I get it. You didn't mean it, but you still did it. You mm -hmm. still said it. You need to be accountable that you said it and did it even when you didn't mean it. Otherwise the relationship isn't going to, is, is not going to be able to be corrected. Yeah, definitely. That, um, and you know, I think that we see that a lot of times, like people, you like see your friends, you know, and them and their partner are always fighting and they're like, no, 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 it's normal. Couples fight, but it's like, you guys are fighting a lot. And like mm -hmm. you said, listening and understanding and wanting to keep each other accountable is such a big part in having a healthy relationship. I think too. Yes. And I think the other thing is if you've lost goodwill for your mm -hmm. partner, because it really demands goodwill. Like, yeah, I, you know, I don't really want to do this and I don't really agree with you, but I don't want to keep fighting and I, I, in, in despair uh, to, can, to maintain our connection. I'm going to um, forego trying to be the right one or, or trying to fix you kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you obviously see a lot of couples in therapy. What are your thoughts about couples therapy and the negative stigma that surrounds it? Uh, stigma of others who, uh, is that what you mean? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of the times when someone says like, oh yeah, like we're going to couples therapy to some, you know, there's like kind of this negative stigma, like, well, that's not going to work. Like, it's kind of like a last ditch effort. A lot of people feel oh, like, yeah. you know, things like that, or that it's not healthy. You know, it's, it's like that with regular therapy too. Um, what are your thoughts about that in just couples therapy? Is it helpful? What do you think? So I used to think that was true, even as a therapist, that couples came here to either break up or drop their partner off and then feel better about, Hey, I, like, I found you a place. I'm off now to yeah. go on my own. <laughs> But that was because I was a bad couples therapist. I didn't know what I was doing. I was untrained 
And once I learned Imago relationship therapy and learned more skill set and working with two people in the room, I hardly ever see that anymore. It's not like it never happens. But I know the idea of people think that couples therapy, like they think separation sometimes, like couples will separate and they'll say, this is the beginning of the end. No. Well, I only know couples that divorced after separation because those are the couples that admitted to you that they separated. Couples won't say we've been together 20 years and three of those years we were separated. People don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really wrong to think that couples therapy can't work. The only way it can't work is if you're unwilling to do the work on both sides and, or you get an untrained, unskilled therapist. Do you think that couples need to have, you know, like a big problem going on to see couples therapy? Would you recommend it just like if you, to anyone? To anyone, I always say, I used to like almost demand that if I dated a guy when I was dating, um, that he be in therapy, like at least a year, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like all couples should at least have six months to a year of some premarital pre-couple just to kind of get a a sense of normalcy because people don't know. We don't learn this in schools. Couples don't talk to each other about the inner workings of their relationships because everybody's embarrassed and they think that they're doing it wrong or they're going to be exposed into having more problems than they have. So I just feel like couples therapy can give you a, um, a nice controlled setting for a good map of what to expect. Yeah. What are some common issues that you see arise when you, when you have clients come in, you know, what are some, I don't want to say like problems, but like, just like topics that come up in therapy that you see a lot of people. Cause like you're a certified sex and relationship therapist. There's a lot of things with sex that people aren't willing to address that people don't really want to talk about. What are some really common problems that if listeners are hearing, they're like, okay, maybe that's a little more normal than I thought. Well, cheating, that's number Mm -hmm. one, infidelity. And cheating can look like anything, like even on TikTok, when I've done videos on cheating, they're like, well, well, what's cheating? Is it emotional? Is it um, flirting on Facebook? Is it sending pictures to somebody? Is it, what is it? It's whatever the couple decides that it is. The problem is most couples fight over contracts they've never made. That's the problem. I've done it. I've held Mike accountable to things that we never, he never agreed to. He agreed to it in my head. So um, when, so cheating is really, I really teach couples when they come in is, can we have an explicit contract, not an implicit contract? Because when couples come in and I'll ask them, are you monogamous? Are you open? Are you polyamorous? Are you monogamish? Have you ever heard of that? Really? I haven't. Uh, yeah, monogamish is from Dan Savage, which is a little <laughs> bit open, you know, like kind of open. Yeah. And so when couples at, tell me they're monogamous, I say, have you negotiated your monogamy? And they yeah. look at me like, are you crazy? What is it negotiate? A lot to negotiate. Like, what do you mean the same things that any other couple who's open has to negotiate? Jealousy? What's monogamy mean? And it can't be on auto renewal. It has to be renewed on a regular six month to a year basis. What's monogamy still look like for each other? So, I, so those, that's like, to be honest, the number one thing that people come in is I feel betrayed. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to having those conversations with your partner, is it better to address it before it happens? I mean, is there any like red flags yes. to that? If someone just, you started dating and they were like, before we get into this, let's just like clarify what cheating means. You know, how, how do you have those conversations? Just like that. I wish couples would do just like that. Really? Like I feel it's important to talk about what cheating is. And, and I don't even like the word cheating. And in, in, in the work I do, I call it breaking the agreement. Mm-hmm. I would like a clear agreement between us so that we don't have to worry about, um, uh, we're clear about what, what is the agreement look like for you and to me? Because otherwise, that's the biggest issue is what it looked like for you. I didn't think was the same for me. So no, I think it's, I'm always about being direct. Yeah. Do you think that 
is it more often than not that couples can work through cheating or breaking the agreement, you know, is because I think that's really hard for some people. What are what's your experience with that? Right. So we have good research now and I've seen it clinically where couples do better after cheating. Really? But it's not because of the cheating or the breaking of the agreement. It's because the breaking of the agreement um, now demands that we be honest, that we talk more openly, that we communicate, and um, that we, we deal with what's real here, what's really going on, which should have been done all along. But after the break in the agreement, now you have it and you see couples have better relationships than ever. Trust isn't the same, but, you know, because now people, that's part of the fabric of your relationship is I can't fully trust you. But here's what I say to that. None of us can fully trust anybody. Any, anybody can do anything. Anybody can have anything happen to them. And so we, we have this terrible myth that if I, we get married, we're automatically trustworthy and we're automatically monogamous and we're automatically going to be sexual and it's automatically happily ever after. And it's all bullshit. Okay. Yeah. So having those conversations, I, I, I'm so, I'm always so awkward. I feel like I need to be better at talking openly about things in, in a relationship. So that's, that's good to know. Cause I think, yeah, I'm definitely someone too. Like there's obviously been people mm-hmm. in my life that I know whose boyfriends, you know, have cheated on them or broke the agreement with them. And, you know, you see them go back and you're like, well, why did they go back? Like, how could they have done that? But, you know, every relationship truly is different and everybody's definition of what breaking the agreement actually means, you know, it's good to totally. talk about that up front before it's ever, you know, ambiguous. <laughs> right. And, you know, people don't know this, but, or don't think about it, but you can cheat in an open relationship. All cheating means is breaking that relationship agreement. So we had an agreement to only play with people that we don't know. And you played with somebody that, you know, and you broke it. That's, that's cheating. Yeah. Something else that you had mentioned was Amago really, was that it? Yeah. Amago yeah. relationship yeah. training? Therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I've been curious, what is that? So um, basically it's that we are just two parts. We're drawn to familiar love that it's not an accident. It's almost custom made hmm. that we find the partner that we're with. So people say, no, 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 I didn't even, I saw her from across a crowded room. She didn't say a word. Well, she was standing a certain way and dressed a certain way and had a facial expression going on. There's lots of unspoken signs that somebody is telling you who they are. Um, or we met in second grade, but it doesn't matter if you met in second grade, you still had a draw to each other based on the family that raised you. So we're drawn to positive and negative traits of our primary caretakers. And most people agree with this. And most people get it when they come into my office and I tell them this. The second part is we're drawn to people that can express parts of ourselves that we cannot. So um, when I met my husband, so I was from a family that uh, um, doesn't really allow for a lot of quiet. So there's always a lot of talking. There's a lot of volatility. And uh, but Mike was very quiet and very calming. I remember writing in my journal, I could take a nap just in his arms near him under a tree or something. And he just calms me down. And he would say to me, I, and because he was from a family that didn't allow, allow for a lot of emotionality. Mm-hmm. So um, he was drawn to me because I was so emotional. But then what happens in relationship is over time, the, the, the same argument you had with the family, uh, the parent that you had the most unresolved issues with come out in the marriage, come out in the relationship, hmm. start fighting over the same things. And now Mike didn't seem so peaceful. He seemed dead inside. I would say, do I need to have those, um, defibrillators around and they wake <laughs> you back up. I used to say mean, yes. <laughs> and he used to say, you're scaring me too much. Get away from me. You're too emotional. So the very thing we fall in love with becomes antagonized. Is that kind of therapy just 
both being able to bring like to the surface, like what the problem is or, you know, what's, how does that differ than regular therapy? So regular, a lot of therapists don't go into childhood. I don't know why they don't. I'm just really big on it. And people will say, are you trying to get me stuck in childhood? And I'll say, (laughs) no, you're already stuck in childhood. If you're recycling the past and the present. So my job is to help you understand that what you're having this argument about is really from your mother was really like, and I'll have clients say in the office, what this reminds me of in my childhood is. And most people can go back and say, yep, my mother used to do this. My father used to do this. My sibling used to do this. Yeah. That makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. I, it's almost kind of like, it's like, um, like when you're getting a massage and you're like trying to like find the, the nerve and you know, that yes. nerve can connect to like 10 different parts of your body. It's kind of like your brain of like that same nerve, that same argument or conflict can like track back to everything from your childhood. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. 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 Why do you think that is not more, why don't you think that therapists are not touching on that more like, you know, tracking back to childhood? So I supervise a lot of therapists and I think that they get caught up in the everyday problem, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're, every time your couple comes in, you're, you're dealing with the, the most recent frustration, the most recent crisis. I don't like that. I'll do it because we have to, I mean, you can't like ignore what's going on, but I really want to get down under what this is really about. Here's what I, I've come to um, say differently because I just had a friend. So she had kidney cancer and they had to remove her kidney. And um, so then two years later, she had lymph node cancer, but it wasn't lymph node cancer. It was still the kidney cancer that had traveled from where her kidney was mm. to the lymph node. So think about childhood. Our can- I mean, it's a terrible analogy, but to think about <laughs> in a way there's a cancer there yeah. and then you go and you meet Mr. or Mrs. or whomever, right? And um now that same problem is in your marriage, but it's not the problem. It's not a new problem. The lymph node isn't the issue. It's the, it's the cancer from your childhood is now in the marriage. Yes. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that um, when it comes to compatibility and people who are complete opposites, do you think that, do you think that the saying is true of opposites attract? I do. And that's because we're drawn to parts of ourselves that we've disowned. So if your family says, don't be playful, get rid of the playfulness, you're going to be attracted to very playful people because that part of you wants to come back alive. It wants to come online. Um, so yes, I do think opposites attract. And it, that's a good thing because that's how you grow. We have a, a saying in uh, Imago Therapy, what our partner wants from us is hardest for us to give them because it's the very thing we need to do for ourselves. So we need the yin and, yin and yang so that we can have it within ourselves, the yin and yang in our, in our balance it out in ourselves. Yeah, definitely. What is the, you know, you have, you have someone and they're like newly wed. What is the best piece of relationship advice that you could, that you could give to a couple? I guess it doesn't have to be newly wed, just anyone in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You're going to fight. Conflict is growth trying to happen. It's not a bad thing. Um, you can, still have romance all throughout the relationship, but you have to make it happen. Sex is not natural. Uh, it is in the beginning, uh, but you must make, I used to say you must make appointments. Now I've been saying, and I'm going to do a TikTok on this. I think it's better. Uh, you have to make reservations, right? People make reservations for fine dining. We're going to make reservations to go on a nice trip. Why would we not know that we have to make reservations for sex? It does not come naturally. It is not spontaneous for most couples. And I think when most couples don't know that, they think something's wrong with them and there's not. Yeah. I was just going to say, so that's not bad to like make that reservation to make the quote unquote appointment. It's so does that usually help people just because like, it's normal to like almost get stuck in that rut as someone would say. (laughs) 
Yep. Right. And so now you made that appointment or that reservation and you can have something to anticipate to. So mm-hmm. the, the, the best thing to do is if you want to be sexual on the weekend is to start on Wednesday and flirt and maybe sext each other, whatever it is you do that gets the, uh, brings back some anticipation. Um, but I know people have negative reactions to when they hear this. They're like, if I have to schedule it, then it, and it's not spontaneous. But you're, you've learned the spontaneity in movies. Mm-hmm. The movies are not real. And yeah. the books are written are not real. Right. And I think that, too, like this topic in what you specialize in, it's not really talked about. And people people think that sex and relationships should be like spontaneous and just like like you said, just like it is in the movies. Is this a problem that is way more common than you even thought? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So much more common because people believe in the cultural myths mm-hmm. and uh, that if we have all these conflicts and something's wrong with us. What I like about Imago is it says if we have all these com- conflicts, something's right with us. But to go back to your earlier question is if we don't resolve the conflict, but we just keep getting past them and they accumulate, that's a problem. Yeah. Like I said, you specialize in this. You make a lot of TikToks. You have books on this. You have a blog. You have websites. You have YouTube videos. If people want to find you and they want to keep up with you and you know dig more into a little more about what you do, where are some places that people can find you? So they can find me like um, I, and and all of my handles are at Dr. Joe Court, D R J O E K O R T. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, uh, JoeCourt.com. We're just gonna today. We're unfolding the brand new website. Um, and yeah, it's really fun. I'm really, Mm -hmm. really glad to do it. And, uh, modern sex therapy institutes. Uh, if you Google that, they'll find me if you're looking to become a sex therapist or know somebody that wants to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me and just going through all this. I think this is something that people are really interested in. And I feel like I learned a lot and I hope that a lot of people can take away really good things from this. And so I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. Yes, awesome. All right, well, we'll talk to everybody next week. Hey, guys, it's Lily. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. If you ever want to find a way to help support me even more, you can rate this five stars on Apple Podcasts.